Hey, listeners, it's me again, John Converse Townsend, and I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Innovators Uncensored. Joining me today is Fast Company writer John Paul Titlow, who covers music and innovation. Hey, it's good to be here. So, John Paul, you just got back from Durham, North Carolina, where you were at a multi-day festival called Moogfest, right? Yeah, so Moogfest is sort of a hybrid music festival and tech conference that focuses on kind of the bleeding edge of music tech. It's organized by Moog, one of the companies that pretty much invented synthesizers back in the 60s. So it has a heavy emphasis on synths and electronic music, but its scope goes well beyond that. During the day, they have engineering workshops, panel discussions, film screenings, keynote talks from people kind of across the left to right brain spectrum. So engineers, artists, and everyone in between. A lot of it's pretty hands-on and super technical, um, while some of it is more conceptual and creative. Some of the overarching themes this year were instrument design, transhumanism, and special for 2017, protest. Uh, like One panel, for example, focused on how music and technology can be used to fight mass incarceration. By nightfall, the futuristic nerd fest kind of morphs into a more proper music festival with artists really from across genres, not just electronic. This year, some of the acts included Flying Lotus, Animal Collective, DJ Premier, and Survive, the guys behind the Stranger Things soundtrack and theme song that people love so much. So it's very entertaining, but at the same time, it's pretty much the geekiest music festival you can imagine. Uh, There was way too much to see and do, but some of the big recurring tech topics were 3D spatial audio. There were lots of panels and workshops and discussions about immersive spatial audio and how to produce it. One of the nighttime live performances was by uh, synthesizer pioneer Suzanne Chiani, uh, and she performed in uh, 3D quadraphonic sound, which sounded pretty insane. So there, there was 3D audio, and another big one was artificial intelligence, as you might expect. Um, Google's Magenta team, which is part of their Google Brain Artificial Intelligence Lab, had a pretty big presence. Uh, they had a bunch of demos of their latest tools and some hands-on workshops that involved coding and um, really trying to get people set up with the Google Magenta tools so that they can kind of start to play with it. Um, It's an open source project, so they're really hoping that people mess around and in the long run uh, basically train computers to kind of think more creatively, so to speak, and uh, ultimately maybe generate some music of their own. So how far are we exactly from a future in which the robots that we are learning to love uh, begin to write, record, and perform uh, our next set of favorite songs? Well, computers can already churn out some rudimentary music using AI, but it's nothing you'd really want to put on at a party. We're probably several years out from that, but the Magenta team inside Google Brain is moving pretty quickly uh, in its quest to teach computers how to kind of mimic creativity and make their own music. Magenta's pretty new. It just turned one year old, actually, at Moogfest. It had been announced there last year. And it's really a combination of a research lab and an effort to build AI-powered music creation tools that can sort of help artists in various ways during the creative process. While I was there, I had a chance to sit in on a workshop that was teaching people how to 
use some of these tools. And I also got to chat with Adam Roberts from the Google Magenta team about kind of what they've learned in the last year and where the project is headed next and that sort of thing. Um, and that story is up on fastcompany.com right now. It's kind of funny, as sophisticated and futuristic as some of this stuff is, many of the underlying principles have kind of stayed the same for decades. Back in the 1960s, synth pioneers like Bob Moog and Don Buchla figured out how to make new musical sounds using voltage control with oscillators and filters and things. And today, people like the guys at Google Magenta are creating new sounds, but they're using neural networks and machine learning. I've talked to a number of people in the music world who have kind of said the same thing, which is really that the future is defined by people pushing creative tools to their limits and using them in unexpected ways, maybe, whether it's you know, a drum machine or the Moog synthesizer or an electric guitar or an API. Before I went to Durham for Moogfest, I had the chance to learn about another example of innovation in music, this one from about 50 years ago when the Beatles recorded Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which at the time was a pretty sonically and stylistically ambitious album that kind of surprised people. It recently got a major deluxe reboot and was remixed by Giles Martin, the son of the famous uh, late Beatles producer George Martin. When I was in London a few weeks ago, I sat down with Giles who led the project to remix Sgt. Pepper 50 years later and got to learn a little bit about what was involved in that project. Well, that sounds great. So without further ado, listeners, here's John Paul and Martin talking about making music magic. You'll also get to hear, and I mean really hear, the sound the Beatles were shooting for so many years ago when they recorded in the studio. And for the record, John Paul was in the Abbey Road studio. Uh, what was that like? So to set the stage for us, John Paul. Well, it was definitely a unique experience to get to hear the new remix of a famous Beatles album in Abbey Road, just one room over from the room where they actually recorded it. Um, it's funny, for such a kind of nearly empty, plain-looking room, you still get an immediate sense of the history. If you've ever seen a photo of the Beatles recording, that's almost guaranteed it was in Studio 2 uh, at Abbey Road Studios in London, which... Uh, is where I was when I sat down with Giles. So, May the 26th, it's the 50th anniversary edition, right, of Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. Um, and you obviously were quite involved. Um, and you've been involved in these types of things, yeah. the remasters before. Yeah. But uh, tell me... Well, this is a remaster, this is a remixing. Remixing. And there's yeah. some extra stuff, right? Yeah, extra tracks. So what's what's the quick rundown of what's different uh, on this one? Well, it's difficult to do a quick rundown because it's a project that's taken four and a half months or five months. So yeah. it's like a... The, the, the process of remixing is very different to remastering. So um, if you imagine, well, you'd have to imagine, the, the, my dad and the Beatles recorded on four track, so, so, uh, which means you have four things you can record on a one-inch tape. And with Sgt. Pepper, because it was quite an ambitious album, you know, famously ambitious, mm -hmm. they, um, 
bounce from four track down to another one track and then they recorded on that tape and they bounced that down to another tape and so what they mixed off their final mix they did they mixed off three third generation tapes you know tape degradation happens and also you have isolation because if you imagine you have guitar bass and drums that you record on 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 four tracks and you bounce down to one you can only stick those that come out of one speaker and so we've gone back to these earlier tapes and we've remixed the entire record so it sounds... Have you heard it at all? They sent me one, but I haven't. Okay. Well, I, I, give, you, I can give you examples. So it sounds sure. much more um, vibrant. And because we're mixing from this... You know, like, it's like giving cassette copies. We're mixing from tapes that they've never mixed from before, so it's much more vibrant than okay. they mixed. And on top of that, when the album, for, when the album was made by the band, it was... It was... Um, it was... It was... It was uh, made for mono you know they mixed at the band and my dad and the engineer they spent hours and hours over the mono mix and then when they came to the stereo the band didn't even turn up because stereo wasn't a big format then mm-hmm. and everyone listens to the stereo now I'll give, I'll give you a quick example of the differences between um, if I can find my mouse so yeah, I can mix a record, but I can't bloody use a computer. <laughs> okay, so the stereo of She's Leaving Home, for example, this, there, there's differences in... So the Beatles planned on the, the, the people listening to it in stereo. So this is, the, this is the record that's out now. Wednesday morning at five o'clock... The mono that they mixed, they wanted, they, that they was the record they made, is this. There's a semitone higher, and so when we go to remix it, we remix it from the original tapes, but we we do what they did. Which is compared to this. Yeah. I mean, it's a big difference. And so going to talking about that, um, the remix thing. If you take lovely retrim in stereo so this is what bouncing does so this song on the record everything comes out of that speaker apart from the bass and vocals and that's because they bounced all of that stuff they recorded all this stuff and they had to put it onto one tape and so there it is on there there's nothing coming out of that speaker at all right now I mean not much anyway basses So now we can do this. So the drums in the center, you can hear everything. And so that's the mono. Drums are much louder than they are on the stereo. So basically what we're, what we're trying to do is we're going back to the very early takes and making the record that they were trying to make, the, the mono record they were trying to make, that they spent time over. And the record that everyone knows they spend no time over at all is my justification. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's the process. So it's big. So it's different from remastering. Remastering, essentially, just so you know, is basically adding EQ to something. I mean, you know, remastering this song would be this. You know, adding more middle. 
That's remastering. Re- remixing is you're going back to the original recordings and you're you know pushing phases up and down and and adding effects and an example actually just another quick example is um, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds John Lennon wanted a thing called ADT on his voice which is when you put a voice for a tape machine you re-record it and it gives, gives you two voices mm-hmm. <clears throat> on the mono that he was there for his voice sounds like this sort of phasey where on the stereo that everyone knows it's clean it's kind of fucked up and so we use the same techniques so it's the same same phasing using a tape machine we do the same stuff downstairs as they did but it's not this which is kind of not very modern Um, with things like that what is your sort of reference I I imagine you sort of know a lot of this from your dad from your previous work yeah are there notes and things like how do you have a sense of what they there are notes on the tape boxes of tape speeds and things like that but then you're just, just listening yeah. You know, you kind of listen to what they did. And you listen and think, you know... The thing about mixing in those days, obviously mixing nowadays, is all, we have automation. So, you know, the, everything, is, everything we do is remembered. But in those days, it was a performance. So, like, you know, if, if one of them pushed or pulled up and down a fader, while the tape's running and being... You know, basically mixing is playing one multi-track tape and recording onto a stereo tape or a mono tape that's what mixing is and go through go through a desk and each move is 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 done in real time and so you think okay if you imagine okay if John Lennon was holding onto a fader and pulling the fader down because he wanted a certain thing then we should probably respect that to a certain degree mm-hmm. um and then you just take choices. I mean, like that version of Lucy the Sky with Diamonds, I thought what would be cool, for, I thought if the keyboard, if I chopped each note of the keyboard and it was, in, if you imagine that the hand being going across the speaker, like the, the hand of a, and so that's why now the organ played by Paul is is playing across the speaker so John can be in the centre. So... So, unlike where it's just static, so you sort of do your own thing at the same time, you mix it with complete respect for you. Kind of think of what would they like if they were here, that's the kind of thing you have to judge, yeah. And then, and then, and then the most important thing is how do the songs make you feel, you know. You don't want to, you know, I remember listening to a a remix of a song that I loved in the 80s and I thought god this doesn't sound anything like it you know it sounded you know it sounded processed and and the whole thing is like you want the album to have the same feeling that it had before but then be in a world you know we live in this modern world of streaming that you and I have talked about where a kid's going to put this next to Kendrick Lamar and it should bump bump to the speakers you know that mono record I can play does sound old mm-hmm. it does sound kind of like there's and it's really just the tapes themselves that are here don't sound old. They sound fresh and they sound, you know, a record is a record. It's a recording of someone 
and it's at that point in time and the Beatles were younger than bloody One Direction when they broke up when they did Sgt. Pepper I think you know probably mm-hmm. you know George Harrison was 24 when they did Sgt. Pepper so it is that it is that the, the, if we can get the youth and the energy to burst to the speakers as they did when they recorded it then that will always be there you know, even if even if it is fifty years old, did you work? Did you bounce this stuff off of like Paul and the others? Yeah, this. Yeah, I have to. What was their? Uh, what was well, I wouldn't like? be talking about they didn't like it. Yeah. You know, that's because they're the, they're the bosses. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I go and see them and sit with them and play them stuff and talk to them about it. It's kind of interesting. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of despite being the son of George Martin, it's a little privileged position to be in where you. You realise you're playing Sergeant Pepper, the new book Sergeant Pepper to Paul McCartney. <laughs> it's kind of nerve-wracking because it's his music, you know. Mm-hmm. But generally, there's a sort of there's a trust, you know. I don't do. It. I'm not doing it so I can talk to you about it. I'm doing it because you know I'm passionate about it, and there's a, there's a trust that that we have that obviously I'm serving them, and if they don't like it, I think I'll change it. And but that's it's much simpler than most things in life. It's it's, there's 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 no filters. It's not like there's some sort of party of people. It's not like making a, a friend of mine's a, a TV director and does these big big like American series, and they have people in rooms with dials and they have unhappy dials and happy dials and they have to make sure they're on a happy dial all the time or whatever. You know, there's a there's a group. You know, there's something like this. There's you know, no one involved at all. Yeah. Did they give you specific feedback about the mix in any way, or was it did they pretty much leave that to you? No, they pretty much leave it to me. I mean, they they they've left their feedback in the mono. Do you know what I mean? Because they were mm-hmm. there, and that's what they did. And they're so progressive thinking um, that we do. I mean, like Olivia Harrison will listen to "Within You, Without You" and listen to tracks and try and dissect what George was thinking, and you know, which is what we do. So they've left their feedback there, and. No, they they generally, um, you know, we get to a stage where we kind of get get in the, get in the right direction and they're happy. Um, you know, I, I remember when I saw Paul, I wasn't happy with the day in life, and we talked about that because the mono of the day in life is kind of so cool. It's such a great sounding record, um, and sounds better than the stereo. The funny thing is, there's different rules that happen in sound when you go from mono to stereo. There's an intensity to just one block of sound hitting in the face. You can't get with stereo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's working ways around that, technical ways around that, working what they did and talking about what they did. And I remember when I played that to myself, I'm not happy that we talked about it. What, <clears throat> for the, the fans who have been familiar with this for so long, you pointed out a couple examples, but... What other? What are some other notable things that they might find different? Well, I just think I think the biggest difference, and I think this is what the feedback has been so far. So far, the fans that have heard this have been like, you know, I kind of checked it with fans. I checked it with some Beatles obsessors before we finished it, because it's not really. I'm not really mixing it for them, mixing it for a new generation. At the same time, you you want them to be, you know, really happy. And they and the the, the fans love the fact because they love the mono and they love the fact it's now like a stereo version of the mono. Um, what I'd say was it's actually, we haven't done the thing. We haven't added anything to it. If anything, we're taking layers off it. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest thing that people feel. Like, you know, listen to anything. I'll cheer any, any random song off the album. And that's the feeling you'll get. You know, you play the opening track. 
Um, if I played, if I played the new mix, the Edmund track. Anywhere in the, anywhere in the, um, it sounds like the song you know. It doesn't sound any different. You know, it's like that's what it should be. And then you go to the record that you know, which is this. Now, I'm not adding. We're not adding any instruments to this. We're not adding any voice. Obviously, it's what it's. But we're we're just able to. Um, because we're going from previous generations of tapes, we can we can peel off layers. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's weird. It's weird. we're we're mixing from tapes that, that they never played or mixed from. Mm-hmm. So it sounds it kind of sounds fresh. I mean, next song, you know. Same song, it's the same sounds. The drums sound the same. It just has a bit more, a bit more body to it, and I think that music is interesting. You can fall, you can, you, you want to immerse yourself, and you want to fall into a record. And you, whether you do it stereo-wise, so left and right, or you do it sort of almost into the speaker. Think about the original Monoverse, they did, they had this sort of intensity to it, so you feel like you fall into the speaker. And so, I think what I'd say to people is that it just you just sound like you're closer to the record. It's simple as that you feel like there's less layers in between you and them. That's what I think it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like, in a funny way, and this is you know, we're talking here. And you, this is what you do, but in any way, we're actually taking off technology, opposed to putting it on, hmm. because um, there is a process that goes on from degradation from tape to tape to tape, essentially. That we that that is technology. It's compression. It's, um, it's it, which is creating dynamic loss and all that sort of stuff. It's an effect. You know, you have tapes effect, but we can not have that. We can have that if we want to, because we have tape machines and compressors. But we cannot have that, and so you just get a different feel. And the, essentially, the feel you get, the, the feeling we got back, is you can suddenly hear everything. And the album is such where it's so well made that it, if you can hear everything, it's actually a better experience. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I mix certain records, we hear everything. You think, golly, you know, you want to hide things under the covers. Do you know what I mean? It's that. And there's a lot of records like that, but this is so. A band at the peak of their powers know what they're doing. So that's 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 what I would say the benefit is. It's um, <clears throat> it's interesting to think about. You know, it's been fifty years. Sgt. Pepper is obviously such a iconic and famous album, but one of the reasons it's so significant, I think, is because it was when they decided screw the touring stuff. We're not even going to think about how to reproduce this live. Let's just go in the studio. And they came in with your dad and had this different approach. Um, what are your thoughts about, you know, at, and at, at that time in 1967, they used, you know, the studio yeah. probably to its fullest, right? Things have changed quite a bit, and you're now remixing this stuff. Talk to me a little bit about the, the technology and how it's evolved and the tools you use versus the tools that maybe were used back then and maybe are some of them the same. Yeah, funny, but a lot of them are the same. We have a we have a benefit if we can use um, 
we have the best. We have you know, the, the better. We have we have hindsight. I can play, do. I can do it. I'm playing doing it now. Where you can go, you can forensically challenge yourself by going, "What are they doing here? What are they doing here?" And you know, there's a guy called Sam O'Kell, who's an engineer I work with, who's brilliant, and he knows all of the stuff. He knows where all of the, you know, the 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 skeletons in each closet are, and you can wheel out machines and do it. And then you can take a view and go, okay, do we want to do this machine? And the funny thing is, is nowadays there are emulations of everything that we have here. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, most of the time, they're not as good, and sometimes they, they work better. You can do various things with them. And I think in this tradition of the Beatles and what my father did 50 years ago, the thing is to have no bias towards technology and not go, okay, you know what we're going to do? We actually use all the original stuff on this because this will make it. Say we talked about when we did eight days a week or did the Hollywood Bowl. It's like we had to develop new technology to do that. Otherwise, it would have sounded the same, mm-hmm. and it would have sounded worse. So we don't really have any rules as far as you know. There's ways in which you can be more precise with EQs with modern stuff. So, for instance, if you want to hear the kick of a kick of Ringo, like imagine Ringo's drum kit is on one track. Mm-hmm. You know, that's if if I'm lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, Sergeant Peppers it's with the guitars. You know. One little have my friends. It's, it's it's on its own thing, so you can. But, and you know, modern day EQs, you can get a better weight out of the kick drum. It's not changing the kick drum. It's just it's just an EQ. So if you listen to the just the low end of this. Kick drum, which even though it's one one track, there's more hitting, and then you do that. You so that's a modern day EQ. You can't do that with the old stuff. So it just depends on. It kind of depends on what you're. The whole point is is the actual, the pathway to the end result is kind of varied, but the end result is always like, how does it make you feel? It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean. You know, some people go, you know, Pro Tools, I mean, someone tweeted, oh, Pro Tools sounds terrible, you can't mix up Pro Tools. We couldn't, we couldn't do the, we couldn't do the mod track tape layering if we didn't have Pro Tools. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't, we couldn't, you can't sync three tape machines together by pressing play at the same time and hope you can mix up it. It's just, so, um, and there's people that, that, that reject technology for the sake of like, you know, there's the whole vinyl thing. I mean, there's a vinyl of this, um, which sounds great. Um, and most people who are analog junkies don't realize that it's been through a digital process at some stage. You know, I mean, there's all this, there's all this, this thing, and people, people, and unlike the Beatles and my dad when they made Sgt. Pepper, they come with a set of people approach things with a set of um, bias that they believe through technology distorts things, and in in reality, I experienced I, when I did a George Harrison remix of um, for this film. The vinyl record of the mix that I did sounded more digital than the digital files that I sent to make the vinyl record. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if I'd played some, which is the digital version, they'd go, it's that, it was the vinyl record. It sounded kind of cold and, mm-hmm. you know, what people think digital is. It was just a bad cut, I had it recut. Yeah, so, so it's a, yeah, it's, 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 it's funny. There's, you know, I think we embrace as much technology as we can to do this, is the answer. To anything, there's no rules, in the same way that they had no rules then. And there's very few records that have 
anything from you know Indian delrubas and sitars to full orchestra to tubular bells to mellotrons to you know at that time it was basically they threw everything at this album. Yeah. I mean everything, but I did it for the sake of it. I just did it. Yeah, they're pretty bored. <laughs> cool. Well, we have a few minutes. So listening to that interview, I definitely noticed that the sound quality with the remix was a lot better, a lot richer. Uh, yeah, and I actually had a chance to get a copy that I could listen to on my own you know, speakers at home and headphones so I could really compare it to the original. And you know, a lot of these reissue projects, you just sort of think, oh, they slapped remastered on there and you know, just to kind of sell a couple more. They actually really did dig deep and uh, remix this thing, and it does sound different. In my experience, a lot of the details on the record are clearer and and crisper. The mix sounds a little more spacious. It seems like the instruments and the voices have a little more room to breathe. Um, so there's definitely a difference here. It's not just a rehash. It's it's modeled after after the original mono mix, but in stereo and done in a, in a totally new way. So even diehard fans that have been listening to this for 50 years are going to hear it a little differently on this reissue, uh, which just came out um, on May 26th. Well, thanks so much, John Paul, for that uh, first-person rundown. Uh, I'm pretty jealous. I'm sure a lot of our listeners... Uh, R2 at this moment. And folks, if, if you are still with us, check out John Paul's story on fastcompany.com. Uh, it touches on how the album got made, the studios on Abbey Road, and more. And if you have questions or comments, let us know on Twitter using the hashtag InnovatorsUncensored. Again, this has been John Converse Townsend. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, 